Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Larmer on him, Nosey. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis? Oh, fuck off, Nick. Hello once again, friends, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where we are trawling our way through Alan's Nomad. Uh, I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. The old parlour game of patting your head and rubbing your balls. Nick Alder. Don't get me wrong, I have no axe to grind with or at the elderly. And Tom Stab. Later today, I'm absolutely going to rinse her on TripAdvisor. <laughs> great. Uh, and so, yes, really welcome great. welcome back to our week-by-week week trawl through Nomad, Alan Partridge's... And it really uh, is a trawl. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, his second real-life book, but uh, but in the uh, bibliography, uh, he's obviously got Bouncing yeah, Back yeah, yeah. and A Funny Thing Happened, dot, dot, dot. Uh, so we are passing the baton. Nick was uh, at the helm of the last few episodes, but he's now passing it to resident expert Tom Dark. Thank you very much. And uh, Nick, can I just say, you've done a really great job over the past couple of weeks. Really enjoyed... Uh, being on that journey with you it's been really great great uh, so, <laughs> so i just need to uphold that level of uh sure 
Should level be. of entertainment. Uh, okay, should be so, a challenge. Yeah, it should be, should be fine in theory. Um, so we'll start with a quick chapter synopsis. I'd say this is a tangential chapter. Uh, we leave the story of Alan's walk to get more background on his father. Uh, is this very much Alan trying to highlight a difficult upbringing uh, that he's talked about in the past? Uh, I'd say it doesn't really paint his father in a great light. Uh, it makes a big deal of uh, Alan's father being quite a hardened man, uh, perhaps because he fought in the war, but Alan puts the main emphasis on it being because he had an unusual name. Uh, so this is Alan again, a aiming for that misery lit uh, tough upbringing angle but i think it also reveals he didn't actually know much about him at all i have a slight theory here and that theory Go is on. did alan's father actually fight in the great war because it says that his dad was born in 1926 so by the time war breaks out he would have been 13 do you remember lots of people lied about their age to join the but war 13 people lied about their age to join the war i don't think you could have a 13 year old signing up as an 18 year old i think you'll find youngsters tried to get in that was the thing well that no, no, I definitely, that is definitely true. But all I'm saying is I don't think that Thir- someone who's 13, 13 years old is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah. and so also theory- someone as spineless as a partridge. I, I, I can't believe that <laughs> no, they no, would no, be but, but, for it. But Lionel is uh, not spineless, I think we'll, uh, we'll get into. Um, so let us start with the chapter title reference. Did anybody get what that's referencing? Yes, I believe it's a reference to the XTC track Making Plans for Nigel. Yes, Adam. Uh, Making Plans for Nigel was a song written by bassist Colin Moulding of English rock band XTC. Mm. It was released as a lead single for a 19... 1979 album Drums and Wires. The lyrics are told from the point of view of parents who are certain that their son Nigel is happy in his work, affirming that his future in British Steel is as good as sealed. Uh, there is an extra link between XTC and Alan. Can anybody uh, guess or name what it is? Is it something to do with Steve and Steve's brother? And no, no, but oh, I, I like your thinking. The Mock Turtles connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not that's not what I've got here in my notes. <laughs> uh, just, well, just just a little link. I quite like the founder of the band XTC is called Andy Partridge. Ah, oh, oh, very so nice. There we go. Um, I also thought XTC. That's a probably a perfectly pitched reference that both the Gibbons brothers and possibly Steve Coogan are all in the age yeah. range to appreciate. Yeah, I would think they are fans of, hence including it. And I I, I think uh, a lot of the chapters in the book they do reference probably songs, films, books, other things of that nature as well but i haven't haven't necessarily identified what we all what they all are but we'll we'll get into that um so let's start with lionel gordon partridge he was my father that's alan not me Uh, in my (laughs) opinion he always will be although there are some who argue that dad stopped being your father once they're dead um so alan then continues i suggested many times that my father's grumpiness could be a very very mild form of post-traumatic stress disorder and maybe he'd seen something awful like a fellow soldier get captured by drunken germans and made to do a morris dance whilst they laughed and shot at the ground near his feet um so this is the beginning of alan painting his father as quite a hard grumpy man um and i I think it's worth saying the ages of everything all tally here alan says he came along 10 years after the war this all lines up um uh, Alan being born in 1955. You've got I'm Alan Partridge Series 2, which was 2002. He says, I'm 47, my girlfriend's 33, back of the net, etc. Um, this makes him about 64, the character about 64 years old at the time of recording this podcast. Steve Coogan in real life is 53 at the time of recording. I'm going to debunk my own theory because even though Lionel Partridge may have been 13 at the start of the Second World War, he may not have actually enrolled until later uh, in the war. So he could yes. have enrolled in like 1944 yeah. when he was a few years old, yeah. like age 17 or 18. Yeah, yeah. That is that is plausible. Okay, great. I've debunked De- my own yourself. theory. <laughs> yeah, great I work. Like it, I like it. Great work. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then I think the the main bulk of this chapter really focuses on his father's name, that it was Lionel. Uh, Alan writes, I was always impressed that his first name contained lion, for he was always a lion to me. His thick black hair like a mane. Plus, he had a bad temper, which lions are famous for. So I guess a, a theme that I've uh, uh, taken on during this uh, recording of this of, uh, of Nomad is who would who would what actor would play Lionel in the TV version of Nomad? And when Alan says his thick black hair, mm. the vision that I had immediately mm. was McShane, Ian McShane. Oh yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm yeah. talking Lovejoy. Yeah. yeah, he's quite a harsh man, and I feel like McShane could pull that off. What yeah. about? Uh, Tim Healy in a wig? No. No? It's a no from me. Okay. I feel like there are two actors in the frame here. One is the person who played Alan's uh, reenactment of his father, and then perhaps a separate, more uh, a more diminutive actor who would play the actual father. So I'm imagining a sort of, <laughs> some sort of Greg Davies for Alan's imagination of his father. But then... Uh, <laughs> like Nigel Havers? Seven yeah. foot tall. But, like, I, yeah. but I feel like, I feel like the, the reality of his father is very much more of a Shane Ritchie sort of character. Shane. <laughs> or da- or someone who looks like Jacob Rees-Mogg. David Jason? <laughs> Could it be David Jason? It's not working for me. Yeah, no, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, you're it's a, tough, a no. You're a tough commissioner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm in charge of the chapter, so yeah. I think McShane's got the gig. Yeah. yeah. Uh, McShane, <laughs> yeah. well done. You're through to the next round. Uh, there's a nice uh, bit of subtly demonstrated shared awfulness uh, here when you have Alan recounting uh, his mother attempting to parallel park again and again, and then Alan <laughs> and his father shouting directions at the flustered woman. Yeah. Uh, she got it right eventually. I loved him what, that day. What I really liked as well is it says, we ended up shouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So very much father and son um, verbally abusing yeah. mum in yeah. the car, so- trying her best to park and struggling and we shouted at and one they're definitely not helping two alan's making this whole chapter about his father being a shit where arguably alan is as much of a shit yeah and and not much has changed when he then references this sort of behavior in this time where he's saying you know actually i've changed these days i would probably just help shout instructions i've called it a woman who's trying to parallel park etc Uh, I also enjoyed that the uh, fat back is referenced as being passed down through the family. Uh, Alan writes, fat back the lion, I'd call him and he'd tell me to shut it. This will happen to you when you hit 40, he'd hiss. And sure enough, shortly after my 40th birthday, I began to mushroom at the middle. Uh, He also then writes, I very much hope I've passed his affliction on to my son, Fernando. Yeah. So a question to the group. Did you ever make fun of your dad for something that now you do or has happened to you? Uh, I certainly used to uh, was quite liberal with the bold jokes and uh, <laughs> turns out that shit's hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> no one told me. Uh, yeah, I think we used to definitely mock my dad like when he started going quite grey and saying, oh, you've gone grey since my sister was born, etc. Uh, but I definitely do have a few grey hairs coming through and I don't have any. Children. Yeah, I think the hair thing is consistent, isn't it? I don't remember ever mocking yeah. my dad, but the affliction has certainly been passed yeah, down. But I, I think that. isn't the, the rule of thumb is you... you either you're going to go grey or you're going to lose it and basically one of the two things is going to happen eventually. Yeah, It's I mean, going to get you. Yeah, apart from if you're Edmunds. <laughs> it seems to be exempt yeah. from ageing. Lovely hair. Silky, Lovely hair. luscious golden hair and then just death. Yeah, so £75 million really can help when it comes to uh, looking youthful. <laughs> Throughout this chapter, Alan is essentially putting forward the theory that it was his father's name that hardened him. Uh, he writes, Lionel would have been an unusual name in East Anglia in the early half of the 20th century and he must surely have taken some stick for it. Stands to reason. Uh, he also writes about... Um, there would have been lurid suggestions among the children that he was a practicing homosexual simply because he had a name that was light on its feet. Um, so I've done a bit of research into the name Lionel. Nice. Now, there are 55 famous Lionels of note listed on Wikipedia, 
I've heard of five of them. Blair. So, yeah, Blair. well, ho- hold your horses. Um, this is a this is a ga- game for the group. Let's see if you can collectively name more than the five that I've got. So, we're starting with, we've got Blair. Lionel That's Blair. Lionel Driver. Blair. That's two. Is Lionel Perez on there? Former Sunderland goalkeeper. Like I said, famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that, that might be true of this one. Richie. Hang on. Per- Perez is not on the list. Richie must be, though. Surely. Come on. Give me Richie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Rich, Richie's here. Yeah. Great. Of course he is. Okay. Well, I wouldn't, um, imagine him not being. So how many have we got? Three. Um, Does it three. include fictional? No, this is oh, famous Lionel Lons. Hutz. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a great shout. So uh, we're, we're, we're looking for five or oh, more. Oh, yes. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. That's four. That's number Wang. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling, I'll be honest. It's not... Yeah. Okay, let's do a quick recap here. So we've got Lionel Blair, British dancer and actor. We've got Lionel Messi, an Argentine footballer. We've got Lionel Richie, the American singer, songwriter and musician. We've got Lionel Shriver, the female American author, uh, most famously known probably for We Need to Talk About Kevin. Uh, We're looking for one more to draw level with what I can. Come on. I genuinely don't think I've got it. I can't think of anyone else. Okay, shall I just... Yeah, yeah, go on then. Okay, the uh, the fifth one that I had was Lionel Bart. That's the British composer, uh, so he wrote Oliver. Uh, uh, he actually Oliver. wrote the theme for From Russia With Love and also uh, Cliff Richard's Living Doll. I wouldn't have got that, though, just yeah. to be clear. I, I don't think I'd have got the rest on your list either, the ones that I can see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's 55, and, I mean, who knows, and we don't have the time to go through that. I think I should be allowed to have Lionel Perez, the former, Sun- former Sunderland goalkeeper. It's not on the list, Tom, and that's what I was looking for, so you need to take that up with Wikipedia. <laughs> there's nothing more I can do here. Um Delving more into the popularity of Lionel as a name, I looked at this data from the Office of National Statistics. There was only one thing that I, I could do next. It was delving into the popularity of all of our names. Brilliant. So this is data for 2017. We're only. 2017 only. Right. Okay. Uh, what do you guys think is going to be the order of popularity? So we're looking for Thomas's, Adam's, Nicholas's, Jed's. It's, it's definitely Thomas first. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, Nick, Adam, Jed. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I uh, think. I will go with the group, but I have a sneaking suspicion that Adam is more popular than Nicholas, so I'd probably put Adam in second. Within, within the podcast but, and oh. in life. <laughs> is your sneaking suspicion based on the fact you've seen Tom's notes? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay well, I can reveal for 2017, uh, the order of popularity goes Thomas. Of course. Mm-hmm. Adam. Oh, you were right. Nicholas, then Jed. Uh, the numbers behind that, Thomas, 3,246. Come on. Uh, interesting side note, Tom, only 144. Obviously, I, Thomas is our there, Thomas. There was one guy at you my may, school who was a Tom, not a Thomas. You yeah. may want to abbreviate it, but I want that to be my choice. Exactly, exactly. Uh, there were 1,788 Adams. Hi, guys. 398 Nicholases. Oh, not many Quite a gap, yeah. yeah 37 Rare. Jeds. 37. Wow. Uh, <laughs> bonus info, 246 Allens. Uh, 943 Michaels. Uh, also, more bonus info, Oliver was the most popular name of 2017. Mm. Oh, you haven't got Linz. Uh, you know what? I did mean to see that and I forgot. So You said you'd do that. I haven't, haven't done that. that. <laughs> uh, getting back to the chapter, uh, I really enjoyed this bit and I don't know if you guys clocked this as well. There is a passage where Alan writes, I'd fantasise about being big enough to turn around and thump him in the tummy or set fire to an airfix Messerschmitt and put it behind his bedroom door so he'd be intoxicated by the burning <laughs> plastic. Now, does anybody recognise that? 
No. No. You are all bang wrong. The exact same sentence is used in I Partridge about ah, his father and father. Right, word yeah. for word the same. Brilliant. Good spot. Great spot. Yeah. I've upgraded it to great. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that someone's good, paying good. attention. No, no, no. Full great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, next up, it's probably time to talk about the thorny issue of the parental death when it comes to the APU. There is just one thing where uh, Alan uh, says that uh, his dad struggled with his uh, adolescence, um, saying that he was brash, confident, every bit one of the chi- uh, every bit one of the children of the revolution, immortalised by Mark Bolam. Uh, yeah, another T-Rex. another nice little yeah, yeah. getting it wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. So parental death up next. Uh, so Alan says that uh, he was almost forty when his father died, uh, and we we know earlier in the book, fifteenth February nineteen ninety five. That all uh, checks out in terms of what we've got in the book. Uh, Earlier in the book, Alan writes about pushing soil over the casket. My mother tuts and looks away. (laughs) But then the interesting thing here, and we have have references briefly in other episodes. Um, In iPartridge, Alan writes this of his mother's death. Uh, The first and worst death of the lot was mum's. With dad in no fit state to do anything, I agreed to say a few words at the service. So... We've got a direct narrative conflict here. Who died first? I thought they paid an archiver to sort this stuff out. Well, that this this is basically Neil. Call us. (laughs) The DMs are open. (laughs) (laughs) But this is exactly the point. It's like that is such a glaring error, which something which is narratively could be so important, particularly Mm. because it's written about in both books. And it's not even plausible that it's something that Alan would get wrong. Can can I speculate? Please do. (laughs) Is it just simply that? I'm not suggesting they don't care or have a cavalier attitude, but I just wonder if they're just writing it without really considering the timeline. That's what the archivist for. Well, yeah, isn't but it? I don't. I don't believe that because because it's trivial and doesn't really serve any purpose. It doesn't really make any sense that you get it wrong. We have heard that the books uh, only take six. This book only took six weeks to write. Beginning. We have, that, we I, have that on good authority. I, I just wonder if that you know they're not deeply referencing the timeline and it's just. It's well, just, I, I've got two two thoughts on this. Um, there's one. It's either there's. I don't think a balls up like this would um, kind of go through the gaps. It's but would they almost do this deliberately just so geeks like us can notice it? No. <laughs> or, no. or is Alan such an unreliable narrator? I wouldn't even be surprised that his father's actually still alive. So he's really <laughs> gone. Wow. That, Bombshell. That, yeah. that far out with the, with the footsteps of my father narrative that actually his father isn't even dead, but it's the only thing he could think of to kind of give his walk some credence. I think, I think that would have given this book a more explosive flavor if his dad was still alive to have him come back at the end of the book. Uh, mm. That would have been great. But that's the sort of thing where I think that'd be hard to make that work within the actual book as a text. But if they were to ever make like a TV version of Nomad, mm. you could quite easily make that work as a bit more of a visual gag that his father comes back. I from. think that could have worked as a book and it could have been like, you know how you get the bits where it's like, bam, I've got four minutes to save Norwich and it turns out actually no lives are at stake. Oh, there's acid in my eyes. Oh, I'm just in a swimming pool. It, this could have been a book long version mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got to do all this stuff. Uh, just just kidding, guys. Actually, my dad is alive, but please do. And that's why it doesn't series. matter that I didn't raise any money yeah, or get exactly. a TV series out of it. At the end of it. the day, I reconnected with my real father who it turns out was alive all along. Yeah. Great surprise, guys. Yeah. Uh, I wish things could have turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Uh, uh, let's not also skip over the detail that his dad only eats sandwiches. <laughs> Very important. Like him, I adore sandwiches, although unlike him, I will eat other foods. Uh, yeah, question to the group. Uh, and let's put this on a high street basis. What's your favourite sandwich? Ooh, great question. Um, Am I allowed to include wraps? No, because I would probably choose a wrap over a sandwich. But I want this to be sandwich focused, and I think they need to be treated as different foodstuffs. Fair. For the purposes of the question. I think what I'm getting a sense 
of is that most of us wouldn't choose a sandwich. I, I would agree. Yes. Yeah, I would choose either a baguette I'd go baguette over a, over a sandwich. It would go wrap, then sandwich, then baguette for me. Yeah, really? I think I'd broadly agree with that. Staggering. Mm. Well, anyway, staggering. that doesn't matter. That's not the question. <laughs> What's your favourite sandwich? Um, high street sam- Favourite high street sandwich. Okay, I would probably, even though I am trying to eat less meat, go for the uh, Super Club from Pret, or Ready to Munch, as Alan would call it. <laughs> Great. Adam, Tom? Um, I, I can't, I can't narrow it down to a retailer, but I think, uh, I am a fan of, of a New York deli, like a pastrami and mm-hmm, pickle mix. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking all time, uh, eats, which basically barely exists anymore. It's been absorbed into prep. Um, they used to do a very good prawn cocktail sandwich. Uh, sorry, not prawn cocktail, but you know what I mean? Like a, 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 a deluxe prawn, prawn mayo. Prawn sandwich. A deluxe prawn mayo. Right. Yeah. Good choice. I love a prawn mayo sandwich. Stamp. Oh, I would say that I'm quite traditional when it comes to these sorts of things. So I'm a big fan of M&S or Pret. I don't really mind either, but a ham, cheese and pickle. Uh, but also if I'm feeling... Kind of basic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 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 but yeah, I, I do a great ham, cheese and I like, pickle though. Yeah. I elevated I, it to an art form. It's basically like a ploughman's in a, in a sandwich and I love a ploughman's. Uh, and then if I'm feeling a little bit, my absolute guilty pleasure, and this really is a guilty pleasure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. the uh, M&S uh, ham and mustard mayo sandwich. It's the oh, cheapest okay. option and it's a bit of a guilty oh, pleasure. Oh, yeah, yeah. A cheap uh, ham and mustard sandwich yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah, good choice. So so wrong, it is right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, don't fight I, it. I, I, I'd say it's a bit of a guilty pleasure as well. There is an M&S, I think it's like their their club sandwich, but it's like a triple. Oh, it's dry. So it essentially That's dry, has, that sandwich. No, it's basically, <laughs> it's basically got a moist maker built in. It's great, but it's a guilty pleasure. And what, I wouldn't have it very often. What I would say about my ham and mustard mayo sandwich from M&S is that I like to pair it with some salt and vinegar crinkly crisps and put or, those crisps the, in the sandwich. Or the, or the uh, cheesy what's-its that they do in M&S. God, also, do you know what I love about, <laughs> what I also love about that ham and mustard sandwich is, it isn't um, like butter and uh, mustard uh, buttered on separately. It's a butter mustard mix that's just layered on. And it's genuinely yeah. delicious. You're listening so like to Snack Chat yeah, with Nicholson. You, you get a buttery mustard. What I like most about this Buttery segment. mustard base. Yeah. <laughs> a buttery mustard base. Is that your grinder name? Yeah. <laughs> what I like most about this segment of the podcast is that I feel like we've rattled through with a level of respect to the fact that thousands of people will have to listen to this. <laughs> it's really the important stuff. Really enjoyed um, that. That was great. Yeah, great good. chat. Uh, it's worth noting as well, Alan does uh, reference the section where he interviews the vicar in Welcome to the Places of My Life when he refers to I've only been back to the graveyard in Sheringham where he lies on one occasion since his funeral <laughs> and he writes when interviewing an odd vicar for a high quality documentary <laughs> it really was high quality yeah um, so we know Alan's father likes sandwiches uh, can we go through what he dislikes have you guys got this I haven't no, no I've go got on. three yep. key things here right. is it brassy waitresses yep. who talk loudly and touch your shoulder yep um, and c- becoming a touch snappier in later life well, that's just what he does. That's not what he dislikes. <laughs> uh, yeah, what else? What doesn't he like? Bring his uh, name, Tom Dark. He dislikes the US government's handling of the Cuban Missile Crisis <laughs> yes. and black newscasters. Yep. Wow. Something trivial, as Alan says, like yeah, yeah, black yeah, newscasters. Yeah, yeah. So we're um, very much getting a picture of homophobic mum and racist dad, aren't we, at this point? Uh, pretty much. Um, but who died first? We do not know. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think Alan's uh, then saying that, yeah, in later life, he's he's becoming a bit more like his father. When a youth TV presenter says could of instead of could have, he starts throwing food at the television. My <laughs> father used to do the 
same thing. Uh, I also like the little uh, detail when he writes, uh, the quirks we share are passed down from father to son, like a collection of World Cup medals accrued from a petrol station via Esso's Tiger Token scheme. Now, does anybody remember the Esso Tiger oh, Token scheme? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, absolutely. What's that? It, okay, it, it, it ran from 86 to 96, and it gave motorists a token for every £6 spent on fuel. Those could be exchanged for a variety of gifts, anything from a whiskey tumbler to a hi-fi. The only <laughs> things that I specifically remember from this were you could get tiger posters. There was a little catalogue that yeah, you used yeah, to get. Yeah, you got a catalogue. You get, get yeah. tiger posters that you then put tiger stickers onto. I think maybe the collection had cards again? had stayed. <laughs> maybe they- Adam, the you've fucking- had your dream again. What the fuck are you lot talking about? Uh, Jed, do you remember this? You don't need to pick up the mic. Just say yes or no. Uh, yes, I do. I think Adam was talk- thinking of the Frosties um, promotion. I would never have eaten Frosties, yeah. Jed. That is an absolute... <laughs> Nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Calling bullshit on Adam, that. <laughs> you're kidding yourself, mate. Yeah. Um, let's add that to the grim. <laughs> <laughs> let's put that on the list um, to get in touch with Mrs. Brooks about. The, so li- it's, the it's, list of Adam's it's, life. Yeah, it's, it's the Edmunds video. <laughs> Welcome and to the places of Adam's life. Does Adam, <laughs> does Adam like Frosties? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> uh, and then just to round off this chapter, uh, Alan writes, I felt like I never truly knew him. By pounding the streets from Norwich to Dungeness, I know that that will change. I know it will, because it will. I know it. And I just have a note underneath. What could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> Let's find out. Let's continue to chapter 18, County Borders. Do you want a uh, walk update? Because Alan's now back on track. So, well, <laughs> back on track is a loose term. Uh, yes. Uh, where are we at now? So uh, he's leaving Manningtree and he's uh, heading to Fearing, I think it's pronounced. Uh, and this... Uh, Fearing in Essex. Fearing yeah. in Essex. And this part of the walk, he's covering 18 miles. So, again, quite a decent chunk. And this is day day five? This is day five. Day Wednesday. five of the walk. Wednesday. Uh, yeah, so he's going from Suffolk to Essex. Uh, quick chapter synopsis. Uh, in essence, Alan spends a uh, bulk of the chapter discussing the Norfolk-Suffolk rivalry and battling with other counties over tourism. Uh, he dwells on Norfolk inbreeding stereotypes, which we will do a deep dive into, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Nick was looking worried. Yeah, I was genuinely worried. Uh, there. There's some jam <laughs> bomb appreciation uh, and Braintree towards the end of the chapter encountering a large crowd, which turns out they might not be there for him. Um, so any, any highlights this chapter to start us off with? Uh, yeah, I like that he uh, mistakes Wales for a county. Um, <laughs> our real enemies are those counties further afield with designs on our loyal band of repeat visit tourists. Your Devons, your Cumbrias, your Northumberlands, your Waleses. Wales is not a county. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a bit more TripAdvisor at the beginning of the chapter as well. Uh, the B&B he was staying at in Manningtree, TripAdvice, their towel smell of mints. <laughs> uh, and he's also been having a fascinating chat with the, uh, that morning's FedEx driver. He explained that doing this every day would cost me close to £9,000 over the course of the week. 900. 900. 900. See, tell I'm just thinking I'll tell you what. It's £900. It would cost him close to £900 over the course of the walk. Money I just don't have. But he wants to correct himself. Well, he does correct himself, saying, rather, I do have it. It's just not in liquid form right now. Yeah, that's essentially saying I've got a house that's worth over £9,000, but I just can't sell it to unlock that money. I mean, big bastard house. Denton Abbey is massive and brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so he says. I think it's time to delve into Norfolk and inbreeding. Who's with me? Finally. (laughs) Can't believe it's taken this long. Always. All right. So I found a brilliant article from The Telegraph uh, from August 2006. And the headline for the article is thus. Norfolk folk are sicker because they are inbred, says local MP Dr. Ian Gibson. Wow. And then there's a quotation. People in Norfolk are quite inbred. Uh, And I think I should probably give the context and read a bit more from the article. Yes, please. 
For years, country folk in Norfolk have been the butt of jokes, suggesting that incest is rampant in the county. Now, one of its MPs has caused uproar by stating publicly that people in Norfolk are inbred. Dr Ian Gibson, the Norwich North MP and former chairman of the Common Science and Technology Committee, proposed inbreeding as a reason for the high incidence of diabetes among children in the area. Jesus. Uh, this is a quote from him. I would imagine it is linked to the fact that people in Norfolk are quite inbred with many not leaving the county, he told the Eastern Daily Press this week. It's something that needs to be looked at as a priority, especially as many cases are linked to obesity too. When asked if he thought people would be offended by his comments, he replied, probably, but they are inbred. <laughs> if you look at the names in Norfolk, there's a lot that are the same. There is an inbreeding complex in villages. People intermarry. That might mean more of them have the same gene which predisposes them to it. Uh, the article continues. He said his comments are not meant to offend. I am talking about incest, he said, but people in past generations did not move around so much. So, sorry, he was a councillor? Uh, yes, and he was the chairman of the Common he's, Science and Technology he's Committee. He's a local MP. I assume yeah, he's yes. not anymore. Well, yeah, <laughs> clearly not up for re-election. This feels like a like a missive from someone who's on his way out. Or possibly just trying to, to defer from some other reason that uh, that people in Norfolk might have a high incidence uh, of yeah, diabetes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's been lobbied by uh, by sugar people. Uh, oh, to say, can you find deep. another reason for the diabetes in this town? Allegedly, <laughs> those, those bloody sugar, sugar people. Uh, when researching this, I found a, a great little comment on Reddit. Um, just, just, just looking into the kind of Norfolk inbreeding uh, mythology, as it were. And they wrote, I'm from Norfolk and I've literally never heard this stereotype before. I asked my mum, aunt, grandma and cousin about it too. And she said she had no idea either. It's a classic. Um, Alan's take on this. He says that uh, he's never, never been made aware of witnessed or even involved in so much as a single act of human inbreeding when it comes to allowing the gene pool to stagnate we simply do not have a charge to answer and then the following paragraph reads all right you might say it doesn't have a now but it used to and fair enough it did used to <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah his reasoning for that is because east anglia is remote uh, there's little passing traffic so in centuries gone by before technological advances such as a motor car or tinder or if you're nick grinder perhaps uh it was inevitable that on a cold winter's night when everyone else in the house is asleep a randy brother might walk down the corridor and gently knock on his sister's door. I think along with the <laughs> um, waitress in uh, the cafe... There's a, there's a dark under, undertone to, to it, that. There's a very dark undertone. Yeah. Um, I also discovered the term NFN doing this research. Has anybody heard of that before? NFN. Not oh, no. for... Yes, yes, not yes. For Come on, Tom. Norfolk. You've got it. It's <laughs> not, not for Norfolk. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell What? Say what? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you more. Uh, normal for Norfolk or NFN oh, is a yeah is a slang term used in some parts of England for something that is peculiar. Urban legend has it that it was used by doctors and social services to depict patients of lesser intellect or when they were considered to be a bit strange or had peculiar habits. I also found an article on the uh, from the BBC that uh, covered this and it had an Armando Unucci quote. And uh, so this is Armando talking about them choosing Norwich over the point of Alan's origin. Uh, Armando said Norwich was chosen as Alan's home because it was geographically just that little bit annoyingly too far from London and has this weird kind of isolated feel that seemed right for Alan. Um, I also have it on good authority while we're talking about why they've picked locations that they chose Dungeness because they wanted something unambitiously reachable from Norwich that was as unromantic as possible. <laughs> well, I think, well they nailed it, yeah, yeah. I think they really nailed that. Yeah. Um, you've got a bit more Alan on uh, leaving negative trip advisor reviews here. Um, so that's that's how they 
battle tourism with other counties, uh, ensuring that their homeland retains its reputation of one of the world's premier destinations for competitively priced caravanning breaks, and thanks to the Coleman's empire, mustard holidays. Now, did anybody look into mustard holidays? No, is that no. a thing? Uh, it doesn't look to me like it is a thing, <laughs> but it does look like... Uh, the first Saturday in August is National Mustard Day, but then it also looks like that is an invention created by the National Mustard Museum in Wisconsin, so I don't think it really counts. Um, I like the next bit where he uh, sort of, uh, he basically subtly tries to get Suffolk to become Norfolk, <laughs> saying it's a compound. Why don't they join <laughs> yeah. together and make a compound Portmanteau. word? Where they, yeah, where they take the, the Nor of Norfolk and the folk of Suffolk to make Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, I think it's time to talk about jam bombs next. Nice. Uh so in Alan's walk to give him energy, he's prepared his own take on the glucose sachets now favoured by endurance athletes and bin men with particularly long rounds. Uh, his comprise a spoonful of jam tightly bound in cling film. Uh, he calls it the jam bomb, not to be confused with the French word jambon, jambon meaning ham. Um, so Alan essentially gets caught up in a bout of short-term jam dosing. He <laughs> feels a brief high, followed by a sustained period of extra energy. When the slump comes, and it will come, he'll simply repeat and continue. Um, he saves the first controlled explosion of a jam bomb in his mouth uh, for 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> He's knackered after great. 40, 40, minutes. 40 God, minutes. God, I need some jam. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did enjoy this. 40 minutes of walking. Uh, essentially most uh, athletes they say if you're running you store 300 to 500 grams of glycogen in your cells when fully fueled which equates to you should be able to run for about 90 to 120 minutes before you start depleting your energy stores but Alan's walked for 40 and he's already in dire need of a glucose already on the jam bonds I also like there's a little passage here where he imagines what, what the jam might say to him <laughs> <laughs> as it hits his mouth saying, cheers, Al. Love your radio show, by the way. Sure. That, that's a they bit like the um, yeah. uh, Denise and Fernando Boots, isn't yeah. it, as well? Yeah. Yeah. I, had put, I had to put a note in the margins just, just to remind myself that this is jam talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed the lines. In an ideal world, they'd be taken on an as and when needed basis, but because they're one of the nicest things ever made, this is impossible. Uh, Unsurprisingly, Alan hits a slump quite soon after. He staggers into a church where there's a service going on, lies down and tells the vicar to shush before falling asleep. <laughs> I feel like uh, in this in this scenario, jam is basically the methadone to Toblerone's heroin for, for Alan, isn't yes. it? It's very much a lower dose, but still the same effect. So arguably, is Alan not necessarily a chalk addict, but a sugar addict? I th yeah, I think he takes what he can get at this point. The, he knows so he, the devil he knows takes he many forms. He knows he can't touch the chocolate. By my calculations, he's gone into the church to have that sleep. He's been walking a maximum of about for 50 minutes. Yeah, without, <laughs> without a backpack either. <laughs> and he's, he's, eating, and and he's eating all of his jam. <laughs> I enjoy the line, uh, every step is like wading through, I don't know, treacle, as if he's just invented <laughs> yeah. that yeah. idea. Uh, and interestingly, it goes, uh, I don't know, treacle, fibogel, whatever. Fiber gel. What? Oh, fiber. Ah, I see what he's done there. But then interestingly, in the audiobook, there's a little extra bit added. So um, oh, right. Steve adds camembert, warm camembert, like that. That's just added into the audiobook. Yeah. See, I wonder if some of those additions are Coogan literally improvising yeah, as well. I so in, inst are. instead of going, guys, I'm going to add this line in, it's literally as a recording. He's just. Yeah, he's just doing it. Yeah. yeah, and I think by sort of chapter 18, he's probably just keeping Bored. himself amused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, okay, so where are we up to next? So Alan's about to approach brain, brain tree. Um, but yeah, my I think one of my favourite lines from this chapter is when he writes the old parlour game of patting your head and rubbing your balls. That is definitely <laughs> that well not parlour game. That is definitely not a parlour game. Oh, Stab's reenacting it now. That's oh. good to see. Ah, you, <laughs> you looked. <laughs> can you? Can you? Can you not? 
Um, so yeah, approaching Braintree, Alan starts to notice crowds. Uh, it says lines of people are thickening like a lorry driver's arteries. What's going on here today? A marathon, perhaps? An LGBT parade? A marathon's probably more likely given the part of the world we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised that Alan throws in the LGBT parade thing in there. I'm surprised he knows what LGBT is. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it might only be for Nick and I's benefit because we've got the paperbacks here, but do we need to talk about figure one? Uh, does this appear? I think it's in the hardback. Oh, it does appear in the yeah, hardback, but not on the audio. But book, not obviously. on the audio, obviously, yeah. So this is a, effectively a very basic spreadsheet. <laughs> very basic. <laughs> so got three, three rows. And this is the second time he's explained how walking works yeah. in the book. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's literally uh, what where your arm and your leg should be each position in walking. <laughs> but crucially, I think the thing we've yeah. probably all zoned in on is that it's copyrighted uh, by Pear Tree Infographics yeah. 2016. And what I, great love, company. what I love is that, uh, like in uh, this time, I think is that uh, Pear Tree Infographics is always responsible for what can only be described as extremely basic, like entry level GCSE or worse. Uh, That's not GCSE tab- standard tables or <laughs> infographics. Alan continues in this chapter. Let me be clear: this walk is not about me, and the very suggestion that I might have dreamed it all up with one eye on a spin-off range of high quality <laughs> yet affordable merchandise featuring Alan Partridge is offensive. Uh, I think we all know the opposite is true. I always enjoyed, we'll leave that kind of ugly careerism to the likes of Tony Robinson. Uh, now, Tony Robinson is also referenced in this time mm. as well, when Alan was not allowed to touch the documents in the library. And he talks about, oh, Tony Robinson uh, was, was allowed to. So I would think Alan doesn't hate Tony Robinson, but he's definitely jealous of his career. Mm. I, I think it's another Alan yes, Coogan no, because Tony Robinson is not only probably one of Steve Coogan's comedy heroes, yeah. he's, he's of that era, yeah, but yeah. also uh, Tony Robinson is a staunch and lifelong Labour supporter. Yes. So yeah. there's that yeah. connection as well. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of in the APU, Alan's putting Tony Robinson alongside... Uh, Dan Snow and Ben Vogel and people like that, isn't he? Uh, just a couple of observations uh, in this section. Uh, I like that he says that um, he senses the crowd would love it, though it doesn't mean signing autographs or posing for selfers, yep. Uh, yep, much like that. Nesquilk or Draclia. Um, <laughs> also, is I that just, Alan just not being down with modern yeah, parlances, though, isn't it? That. Yeah, and I love his giddy incredulousness when he says, uh, you know, he saw a man walking a dog, a boy riding a bike, a lady driving a tractor, and then he puts in brackets, I genuinely did see this. <laughs> Can you believe it? Yeah, see, see Seeing a woman driving a tractor is absolutely outlandish in Alan's world. Uh, and there's another good bit of uh, the uh, affirmation about the walk here. My reasons for doing this walk are intensely personal. Brackets, i.e. footsteps of father. <laughs> Such a weird way to phrase it. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the uh, music that Alan walks to? Please do. Yes, but just very briefly before that, a little detail which becomes important later. Okay. Alan says, I put on my headphones, crank my iPhone up to full blast and nod approvingly. So at this point, his iPhone does have music on, which becomes important later. Oh, that is an absolute continuity error, isn't it? Continuity error or... Yeah, Alan error. Yeah, Alan error. Had, 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 oh. Yeah, I didn't clock that. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you could look at, you really could look at it either way. Um, okay, so You've the music... You've got mu- to get out either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, Alan, yeah. it's Alan's error. Yeah, error, definitely. Error. Error? Error. Okay, so we have Dr. Alban. Uh, spot on Alan says to himself it's crucial for a rambler to get their song choice right Uh, I live alone so often find myself marching back and forth to pop songs Uh, he then talks about Stop the Cavalry by Jonah Louie which we know he spends his Christmas days marching back and forth to as discussed in (laughs) iPartridge etc yep that's the one Uh, you've got Portsmouth by Mike Oldfield which is very much not the uh, Tubular Bells type Mike Oldfield that we might know. I hadn't heard of that song and I said to you on WhatsApp and then you sent it to me, fuck me, it is awful. (laughs) And based on that alone, let's just drop a bit of that in now. 
uh, yeah, it's all a bit uh, hey nonny no, isn't it? <laughs> Dreadful. Um, am I the only person who doesn't know who Dr. Orban is? What? Oh, yeah, this is, this is a generational thing, I think. Then. Is there, well, is there I, like, I, don't, I don't know it. Don't you? This is oh, the, absolutely yeah. be real. Absolutely. This, this came in, in, in the tidal wave of high-energy European disco music yeah. of the early 90s. Oh, I don't know. A lot of things it's like Too Unlimited, Wigfield. It oh, was in, yeah. oh, what? Dr. Alban is It's My Life? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, fine. I know that fine, song. Fine, uh, fine, fine. Released in 92, uh, bonus info, re-released two more times. In 1997, with a version with a version featuring Sash, and in 2014, Dr. Alban has sold 16 million records. He's released seven albums and what? 29 singles, the most recent of which in 2015. Oh, my God. Oh, there is no accounting. Hang on, I also I, po- are those 29 singles, It's My Life 2014 mix, It's My Life yeah, 2015 It's, 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 <laughs> my it's actually Hathaway, yeah. isn't it? Am yeah. I also po- supposed to know what the safety dance is as well? Uh, I, I'm not I familiar with that. didn't know that. Okay. I looked it up. It's also quite awful Um, but there is one other key piece of music we need to talk about here which is Float On by Modest Mouse the 2004 track he heard at an ice rink Uh, but I don't know if anyone else clocked this in the book it's Modest Mouse in the audiobook it's Modest House let's play that in now but as marching songs go you cannot beat Float On by Modest House brackets a 2004 track I heard at an ice rink Interesting. Again, I wonder if uh, is that just is that Cougar messing around? Oh, is there I think some reason it's got to be. <laughs> He's just doing it to amuse He's himself. Literally <laughs> just changing things up and thinking, oh, Neil will really hate this. <laughs> and Rob, we, and yeah, Rob, which yeah, is prob- probably even worse because I think of all the song choices in this book, I think this is probably the one that's aligned with the Gibbons' tastes yeah. in terms yeah. of when it came out and who's in it yeah. and how old they are and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's kind of contemporary-ish and credible, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, great track. Back to Braintree. There are no marathon runners there are no floats with flamboyant homosexuals and outrageous costumes i love uh, those guys yep um, and i i note there with alan saying i love those guys perhaps a little more than alan wishes he did mm. also mm. just quickly mm. wanted to throw in that he said uh, that he likes modest mouse because the singer sounds like brian ferry who he knows from tory party fundraisers <laughs> uh, i thought that was good because obviously brian ferry featured in a comic relief with yep. alan yep. before this book so perhaps this is uh, tying that mm. all together as well and that's probably that's a bit not. of a coogan yes partridge no or whatever we're calling it as well yes yep. and at this point it's the first mention of dave clifton yay, yay. <laughs> and, and a message for dave to stay sober because <laughs> he a, is and i dave, quote you're a good man <laughs> A big time source junkie. <laughs> Whatever people say, you're a good man. So, Stay uh, sober. So at this point, Alan is thinking the crowds in Braintree are obviously there for him, but Alan hasn't publicised his walk, but maybe someone else has. Uh, so he's come to the conclusion that Dave Clifton, who he says was his arch enemy in the late 90s and early noughties, uh, would have perhaps done this. Uh, so Alan jogs out, and I, I really enjoyed the descriptions. I do a little jog and pretend to play an imaginary cricket stroke into the crowd, then cap it off with a laugh and a get out of here wave. Then I do a series of rapid points at various members of the crowd while mouthing you 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 before shouting who loves you baby uh, later a little showbiz jog to the side before leaning one way cupping a hand to my ear and then the other side jog lean cup I absolutely love that bit because I can really picture him doing all yeah, of it. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Uh, a little detail that I didn't want to skip over was uh, that he says uh, he does know that Dave now considers him a friend and then the footnote just says, indeed, he texted me last month for the message that simply said, you are my friend, odd. <laughs> and you can totally imagine Dave Clifton sort of sending that. He's, he's in the throes of recovery from alcoholism. Yeah, that's, that's the it's one of, of his 12 uh, steps. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely <laughs> atoning for past sins there. Uh, Favourite line coming up? I sometimes have a bit of a downer on the general public. They can be thick and uncultured. (laughs) Footnote, e.g. the Great British Bake Off. (laughs) 
Um, so it's starting to become quite apparent that uh, the crowd is not there for him. Alan is talking to uh, a pair of girls yeah, dressed in denim. Um, eh? Chirped the <laughs> denim girls in unison. That's literally what they said, but then this is Essex, and I'm aware they might not have had the benefit of a formal education, but I love the next gag. I'd assume they're identical twins, but one of them's black. <laughs> so that is just a... a, a, a a reversion of the Pepsi and Shirley yeah, gag, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Which I thought yeah, was great. Yeah. Um, and the confusion ensues where Alan has basically launched a pair of his underpants high into the sky for a lucky punter to keep. And I just love the descriptions here. The strunts have been flung. He watches them arc into a group of unsuspecting spectators. And then these people aren't here for me and I'm effectively shelling them with unders. He says, I wince and feel the tentacles of embarrassment beginning to climb my tummy like ivy. Only then does he get embarrassed. Not yeah. Before then, he's totally fine with chucking underpants at people. Yeah, he's been too busy focusing on the Joglene Cup, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so the crowd are there for Steve Backshall. Um, so let, we can dive into Steve Backshall a little bit. But can I just say, I didn't know anything about him or genuinely who he was before. Oh, I this. was I was broadly aware yeah, of his, his work. Same. Um, I also like the, this next section where he's talking about Steve. It's it's something that he does often, which is he is quite happy to sort of build up the premise around his own TV properties and himself, but he loves to dismantle the mystique of uh, a sort of TV, like the way it works. He likes he yeah. likes to kind of be like, well, you know, it, it's like with um, Dave's fictional nightclub where he's like, well, I can hear them. I can't see them. Yeah. Like the women in Dave, you know, it's the same sort of thing he's now applying mm. here. Yeah, to he, he wants to basically ruin everyone else's kind of yeah. media appearances. Um, so Steve Backshall, a BAFTA winning uh, English nature, uh, naturist. naturist. <laughs> <laughs> Keep Na- that in. Naturalist, writer, and TV presenter, best known for BBC TV's Deadly Sixty. Uh, side note: never heard of it. Oh, Same. Um, ha- have seen. It's 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 basically a, a, a sort of uh, creepy crawlies, alligators, sharks program. I would say aimed at the the children's market. Is he kind of okay, a British so Steve Irwin? Show. Yeah, yeah, kind of a British Steve Irwin. That's that's but fair. not as like you know knowledgeable about. Well, I guess he is kind of knowledgeable, but not to the level of Steve Irwin being an expert in animals. I might be doing I him a disservice. I wouldn't like to yeah. speak to his knowledge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's worked for National Geographic and the Discovery Channel. He has published three novels for children and several non-fiction works. Now, there's a great bit in his Wikipedia entry, which I thought was very Alan-esque. Bagshaw's parents worked for British Airways and he was brought up in a small holding in Bagshaw, surrounded by rescue animals. He studied martial arts in Japan for a year, gaining a black belt in judo and a brown belt in karate brackets citation needed <laughs> he is also fluent in japanese i thought like he's written so, that himself he, he hasn't he more like swallow who does kendo yeah, with yeah. kendo with chan <laughs> uh, and there's another great bit when i thought this really nails why alan dislikes him um because essentially backshaw could make something like the footsteps of my father work in 97 backshaw attempted to walk solo across the western half of new guinea he was in a rainforest for three months but was ultimately unsuccessful he then had an idea for a series bought a video camera and went to the jungles of Colombia, where he made a pilot which he sold to the national geographic channel which employed him in 1998 as its adventurer in residence and he <laughs> spent five years as a producer and presenter so he's essentially nailed what alan is mm-hmm. struggling to do just walking across a couple of counties in england mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, Alan says, Bakshul's core audience can only take him so far. He's marooned in the no man's land between Bear Grylls and Terry Nutkins. Yeah, that reminded me of the uh, comment. I think it was about... Um... Oh, who's the guy that hosts uh, Good Morning Britain? Eamon Hope. Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan. Love you, Eamon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stranded in Thick Alley. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, concluding this chapter, uh, Alan writes, I made a quick foray into the crowd to collect my undies. Sorry, thanks. Quick, bye. Um, have a quick altercation with a middle-aged woman and continue <laughs> south. Uh, what I liked is the footnote yep. tells you more about yeah. what happened here. And I think this works really well in the audiobook because they just flow from one to the other. So the footnote, uh, 76. The pants weren't dirty. They were unwashed. Big difference, sweetheart. The uh, footnote 75, the one before, isn't in the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about, about Steve's tendency about... to be a bit squeaky when he's doing a piece to camera? Yeah, not yeah. in the order, but don't know he, why. He is a little bit squeaky. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. And on that bombshell, I think it's time for chapter 19 River Can and Alan Can. Uh, Tom, can you give us an update on Alan's journey here? Yep, so he's kicking things off in Fearing and he's heading towards Chelmsford covering 15 miles. And this is day six. Day six? Thursday, day six. Day six. So that explains the title of the chapter because River Can is a river in Essex where he is. Correct. Ah. That is correct. Uh It's almost like Adam's done his research. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so this chapter opens. Uh, Alan has had a wake-up call that he hadn't asked for. Uh, He has no issue with those that wish to rise at 4am, but he does have issue with those... Uh, those people, or in this case, a blackbird that proceeded to spend the next four hours hollering from the top of a tree. See, I have an issue with this as well as quite a light sleeper. So I travel if I'm traveling anywhere, going to a hotel or anything, I never go set foot in any of the rooms unless I've got my eye mask and earplugs as well. Just in really? case such. Yeah, just in case such an incident. I'm not really woken up at 4 a.m. by birds. So I, I like that he's raising this as a grievance with the guest house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like it's outside fault. the building. So, Tom, if there's a bird making noise outside your guest house, do you think they're better off flying down to ground level and finishing themselves off in a bush? Uh, but irrelevant, because I won't hear it because I've got my earplugs <laughs> okay, in, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've thought of everything. Um, so, this chapter is not a massive chapter. Uh, this is basically where Alan decides 
decides that the walk is now going to be for charity. Uh, there are a few <laughs> questionable views shared on charities, and Alan also comes up with a slightly misleading way to raise his funds. Unless we forget, uh, not a few chapters ago, he was railing against charity. Uh, he not, really was. Not 100 pages ago, dedicating an entire chapter to why it definitely wouldn't be for charity. And he'd been very clear on that. Uh, I enjoyed, he writes, his father would have reached here in about 90 minutes, whereas it's taken me six days. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Should have just driven it, mate. But that's not the point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a bit more TripAdvisor gold here. She's dug her own grave there because later today I'm going to absolutely rinse her on TripAdvisor because she's not going to give him a half night's rate for the bird making noise in the morning. Rinse is quite a modern term for Alan. I think it's, it works because it's funny, but yeah. uh, there's definitely some Americanisms and some slang in here that you wouldn't expect from earlier, Alan. Alan writes, I don't remember if I'd mentioned I'd be raising money for the needy, but I am. It's something I had long in mind before yesterday's <laughs> running with the sport relief mob. Uh, as we say, he's explicitly said the opposite. Uh, let's take a quote from chapter five. The walk itself must not be for charity. I was certain of that. <laughs> uh, Alan lists a few charities as well. There's Help the Aged and Bernardo's, even charities for animals, supported by the growing number of people who haven't got their priorities <laughs> right. <laughs> Hashtag animals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, he was an animal liker yeah. a, a few chapters ago he, as well. He was. Um, so he his chosen charity is the Alvin uh, Weinberg, or maybe Weinberg Foundation, uh, which is a genuine thing. Um, oh, it it is. was uh, yeah. So the, uh, basically, what he writes in the book is is real about. It. it was founded in 2011, the world's first pro nuclear charity with an ongoing mission to support the safe and sustainable use of nuclear energy. It looks like it actually ceased in 2015. So clearly, Alan failed to raise enough <laughs> funds to keep that going. But uh, yeah, they do. Uh, they they have an archived website um, that says they were dedicated to advocating for next generation nuclear energy, supporting development of clean, safe and sustainable energy supply for all. Uh, but as we go on to learn, there's not enough space for Alan to write the full name of that charity on his bucket, so he just goes with Alvin's Foundation. Some of that money might have been donated because people assumed Alvin was a little boy with leukaemia. He's raised I mean, 60 quid and that's going straight in his back pocket. Isn't <laughs> absolutely. It? Yeah. Also, there's something telling there. He says it may be donated because people assumed Alvin was a little boy with leukemia. Well, they might have assumed that Alvin was a little boy who was ill, but if they assumed it was leukemia, that's because Alan's given them that very specific <laughs> detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, has anyone else got anything more for chapter 19? No. Nope. 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 All right. Let's move on to chapter 20 huh? Tilbury and the Blood of My Heel. <laughs> Tom, I think this is day seven of the walk, so give us the stats. This is day seven. It's a Friday, and Alan is going from Chelmsford to Gravesend, which is a quite monumental 22 miles. Is, is this an all-book high in terms of miles covered in the day? I think it might be. I th uh, that He does two consecutive days of 22 miles, and then... Wow. This is well, almost admirable. Yeah, I mean, well, that, well, we'll get to this yeah, in a later episode. I mean, there is a point where it all goes very off-kilter, and it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to work it out. Quick synopsis on this chapter. Alan uh, reaches the banks of the River Thames. He celebrates this with some wafer-thin ham. Uh, it turns out Bill Oddie is with him. He bumps into a one-show outside broadcast, Steve Actual features again, and decides to join in, uh, where there are consequences. Just going back on the ham, um, yeah. he says that he's uh, he celebrates in fine style with a pack of wafer-thin ham from Asda. Surely Asda is not brand partridge. He wouldn't buy ham from Asda, surely. Maybe it was the only one that was available. Yeah, he does mm. also think that the best cheddar available is Tesco Finest Cheddar. So uh, It is good cheddar. It is yeah. good cheddar, yeah. It is very good. I just had to say that. I yeah. think realistically, Alan's, Alan's level in terms of uh, consumer produce is probably the high end of an average supermarket. 
Um, same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put your cards on the table, Adam. He's not shopping at Waitrose. No, he isn't. And also, I would say that uh, I looked up the wafer-thin ham from Asda, <laughs> and it retails at £2 a pack. That's more expensive than I expected. No, yeah, I, so because it's, it's wafer thin, it's pump full yeah, of water, it's, it's a chunk uh, of pink meat about yeah. thick as a brick. Allegedly. It's but sub remember, 50%. But remember, pork, Alan it? is choosing, uh, This is a, he's reached a major milestone in his journey, so he's choosing to celebrate in fine style with a pack of wafer thin, yep. wafer thin ham from Asda. Uh, so that's quite an unusual snacking choice. So question to the group... Uh, do you have any unusual snacking habits or unorthodox snacks of choice? Oh, I've actually got one. I've got a soft spot. Um, I, I re- reword that. I had a soft spot for super noodles. Yeah, okay. same. Yeah, okay. yeah. As a student. Okay. 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 I mean, I, I'm prepared to admit at university, you might have a packet of ham in the fridge, dip a slice of that into some salad cream. Absolute oh, bliss. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, never I'm, no, I'm, I'm with Tom I on know. that one. Try, As a student, I haven't had it in it. years, but yeah, yeah. I, would, I, I used to right. eat a bit I, of salad I, cream. I, borderline university delicacy. Would you yeah. eat salad yeah. cream in 2019? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, it's, it's what Tom said about mm. probably not. It's never yes. Adam, <laughs> what <are> you <laughs> I reckon oh, you're Adam's all over salad cream. No, no, I had a salad cream phase, but that phase is in the past. So Tom, did you have an unorthodox snack choice to reveal? It's not really a snack choice. It's more like a sort of guilty pleasure thing that i do okay which is when i uh, if i'm making something with a stock cube and i crumble the stock cu- stock cube in i will then lick the packet of the remaining uh stock cube dust oh, wow perverse so- choice the Sal- actions salty, of a madman salty meat dust yeah basically yeah. that or if it's one of those gnaw like flavor bomb things that you put in just like oh, have, your I finger around flavor, that and i've had flavor bomb a flavor water. bomb not a jam bomb to be <laughs> uh adam anything from you you've been uh, a bit quiet on this and i'm, I'm worried <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i imagine the list is extensive uh, and I think, long. I think probably the worst that i would do is occasionally if i've if i've got a jar of of cornichons or pickles i right. would i would Ooh. dip them in some sort of okay. a barbecue mayo barbecue mayo you know, or blue cheese dip or whatever kind of, uh, whatever. I expected worse have. from you. Love a cornichon. I remember someone that I used to work with that actually you was know as well, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of his favourite snacks was um, a tin of cold baked beans that he would open, eat half of it. Already and, wrong. And, no, and, no, and no, then, no, and then no, it gets no, worse no, no. and then dump some tuna from a can into the oh, cold beans oh, and then gross. eat that. So gross. Yes. Yeah. Like cold baked uh, beans was bad enough. Yeah. Yes, I actually love beans. Ba- I love baked beans, but the thought of cold baked beans Disgusting. Tur- turns my stomach. Oh, yes. they are gross but I know cold. quite a lot of people who are quite pro on cold baked beans. Absolutely yeah, not. Yeah. Jed is no. nodding his head. Oh, of course, course he is. is. Yeah, but you is. put burger sauce in it too. Oh. You pervert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anyone else has got unorth- food unorthodox pervert. snack choices that they think are particularly shameful or impressive, the partridge pod at gmail.com is where you should direct them. Do we definitely want that? Mm, I mean, I'll read it once and then I'll try not to think about it. <laughs> For the benefit of the this... listeners at home, I just wrote down the name of the person who enjoyed that snack and both Adam and uh, and Tom know who it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I expect, I'd expect it of and him. No, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, okay, so Alan has got to Tilbury. It is the home of one of Britain's largest shipping container terminals and... Would have been a bit weird for him to not take a look. His own words. Sure. <laughs> uh, Alan's mostly excited because uh, the terminal is a hub for timber, cars and paper. So I think we could all agree it would have been a bit weird if we hadn't stopped by. Oh yeah, definitely. Really yeah. odd. Yeah. I'm really keen odd. to go. He equally finds it quite weird that they don't do tours. Yeah. <laughs> not, not even for VIPs. Uh, we also learned that Bill Oddie has uh, been with Alan all day, <laughs> which I love the fact he just drops it. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're having a conversation about when the robots take over in 20 years time, Bill thinks it will take longer. This is Bill Oddie, by the way. He's been with me all day. Um, <laughs> just throw that in. And Alan, it turns out Alan has upset Bill Oddie by referring to seagulls as the jackals of the sky. 
I think this, uh, I think seagulls as the jackals of the sky warrants some investigation because I think the evidence says Alan probably has a point. Uh, there was a recent news story about Gizmo the Chihuahua. Oh, um, Gizmo. R.I.P. Gizmo. Uh, we don't know that he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> he's dead. Uh, Down in one. So th- this happened in... <laughs> <laughs> this happened in July, July 2019. Gizmo the Chihuahua was seized and taken away by a seagull. Uh, his owner said a gull swooped down and grabbed Gizmo by the scruff of his neck. Gizmo four was described as a small brown dog weighing 4.4 pounds (brackets two kilograms). Uh, the owner said, "My partner tried to grab his legs, but he was not tall enough, and the seagull Aww. flew away." Uh, ornithologist Peter Rock from University of Bristol said, "If you have a very little tiny dog, I suggest you don't let it run around in your back garden. It may well become a meal." <laughs> I would um, also uh, add to this: um, there was a family barbecue once at my parents' house where a, a, a kite swooped down and got a pigeon and basically flew off with it. It was horrendous. Well, that actually leads me on to my next Jackals of the Sky point. Uh, when Sky News were covering this Gizmo the Chihuahua story, uh, they ended up inadvertently broadcasting footage of a seagull devouring a sparrow and had to issue an on-air apology. Serious? I must apologise to viewers who, whilst watching, saw a gull totally eat a sparrow. <laughs> totally this, eat a sparrow. This reminds me of that, uh, I can't remember if it was Spring, Spring Watch or another programme, but there was a, a big thing recently that somebody they were, uh, they were filming the hatching of sea turtles and as they were broadcasting live as the sea turtles made their way to the beach a goal came down and just absolutely ransacked the, <laughs> oh, the no. so, uh, it sounds about right uh, a couple of things from social media which i've literally seen probably within that last week a sign in rye that said please do not feed the birds as they're becoming unnaturally dependent on humans and dangerously aggressive uh, a tweet from wiley uh, i was walking along a seafront and a seagull just flew down from nowhere and took the cheeseburger out of my hand and nearly took my finger off as well hashtag life um, <laughs> And there's a great video on Twitter that's been doing the rounds where there's a couple of guys in a pub watching seagulls steal food from people and absolutely loving it. I think we should share that on the socials. It's quite amusing. The other news story that I saw recently, because this has been happening more and more, is uh, deterrence to stop the seagulls stealing food is apparently to stare at them in the face. That yep. was literally my next point. Okay. Yeah, that is uh, they're, they're, a study has been done in, uh, done into that. So experts at the University of Exeter recommend if you stare at a gull, it will discourage it from feasting on your food. So I think we can actually agree that they are the jackals of the sky. Alan has a point. Uh, question to the group. Have you ever personally had an altercation with a seagull or any good seagull stories? Uh, I've been dived no. on for ice cream before. And, Great. Uh, I, Love it. I got a pasty from a shop in Padstow. Uh, no, in uh, in Falmouth, sorry. And they said, there's a big sign on the window saying, do you... Do not leave your pasty out in the open. It will be dive bombs as soon as you leave the store. Uh, so I covered mine. The person behind me had disregarded the sign and they literally got their pasty smashed out of their hand within about two <laughs> seconds. Now, Nick, you lived in Brighton for a few years, so you must have some good seagull stories. Uh, I have quite a few seagull stories. I'm just <laughs> Let's give just you... have the best one. The best one would be um, we had two baby seagulls living on the roof. Baby seagull. <laughs> baby seagull. And our neighbour uh, threw fish at them to try and feed them, but missed and absolutely pelted the garden and the back of our house in fish. <laughs> and genuinely, when we when we realised this was the case, uh, the garden was literally full of flies and it was absolutely disgusting. Oh. Uh, I did conti- continue to feed uh, the baby seagulls cat food throughout the week and left them a little saucer of water to try and help mother them and bring them to life. So basically... I do have two children. Yeah. Did it work? Baby seagulls. Yep. Once yeah. they're up to full yeah. strength, they flew straight over to Gizmo's house, and the rest <laughs> is history. Didn't, yeah. didn't so also, what, what we've learned, you, you've you've made the problem worse. Oh yeah, yeah. But always, always feed. Didn't a seagull also shit through your open window into your kitchen onto all your surfaces? <laughs> uh, yes, that also happened. We also had a dead seagull in the gutter. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, yeah. 
and numerous shittings on. I remember yep. once being at Brighton Station and just literally feeling a plop on my head, thinking, <laughs> oh, is it raining? It wasn't raining inside the station, was it? <laughs> no, a seagull had shat on me. In fact, thinking about it, there used to be a little coffee shop in the middle, and uh, it got to the point where literally they had to cover up the croissants because <laughs> seagulls used to jump onto the counter and just nick croissants and fly away. <laughs> it was brilliant. God, I love seagulls. Oh, they're oh, so good. Oh, and also, there is a gif that we like, isn't there? Yes. Uh, there, there's a seagull gif that is a favourite of ours uh, in our WhatsApp group. Um, oh, where it walks into the shop and just comes back out with some goods. No, there is that, that one. There is that one. Yeah. Okay. I I'll tell you what, basically, honest, uh, the, put, week, the week that this, ep- yeah. this episode comes out, we'll blitz our socials with all our favourite seagull-based yeah. content. <laughs> Just put seagull into the gift search of WhatsApp and the <laughs> no, no, Look yourself it. out. Here's a tip. Put in seagull and hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah, okay. And laugh yourself stupid. Guys, do you want to talk about Bill Oddie next? Sure. Yes. So I found a... There's an article from The Independent in July 2013 where they interviewed Bill Oddie about his constant partridge referencing which I think we have touched on before I think the bit I liked about this most was that um uh Oddie wrote to Steve Coogan to ask about his motives he said I wrote twice in fact and what was the response there wasn't one bloody typical when you call his bluff Alan is not there to respond I suppose he <laughs> thinks he's staying in character um and there's a good link as well in I Partridge uh Alan writes about uh there was a uh, the idea for a show which uh, we don't see in I'm Alan Partridge, uh, Motorway Rambles. Uh, so he talks about it was a show that he pitched to Tony Hare's, a travelogue of me walking the hard shoulders of British highways with special permission from the British Transport Police. But it had been co-devised by Bill Oddie, which is why he didn't yes. pitch it to Tony Hare's. Uh, it's always worth taking a look at Bill Oddie's Twitter as well. Uh, the constant Twitter gold there. Uh, a few recent ones uh, at the time of recording. Uh, August 7th. Uh, is sex dirty only if you're doing it right Woody <laughs> Allen maybe I'm doing it wrong I just don't move me like it should maybe I'm doing it wrong Randy Newman that's all one tweet doesn't really make sense weird uh, July 24th Boris Johnson is now Prime Minister we know now please stop reminding us <laughs> July 16th I'm going to have to stop because there are two workmen on scaffolding right outside my window what are they doing talking and talking and talking very loudly if they turn on a radio I shall have to destroy it he's got to stop what he doesn't say what he's doing no <laughs> you're okay hun <laughs> that's what i like about it there's no more detail um later in this chapter alan writes when walking i often like to pretend i'm a car listen carefully when you cycle past me on a straight bit of road and you'll most likely hear me making the noise of a family saloon accelerating so question to group have you ever pretended to be a car <laughs> i can answer this one quickly and swiftly no uh no yes <laughs> Uh, I was what, hoping for what that. What was the horn like? Please elaborate. <laughs> um, so, uh, Alexis. Yeah. So, uh, right. So, right. The thing about <laughs> right, right, right. The right, thing about right. this is the McDonald's by my house in southeast London says that it's 20, open twenty four hours, and I tried to go in there at like two o'clock in the morning once, boozed up. Only and one. Only once. D- definitely once okay. because the, definitely yeah, once. yeah. And right, so guys, guys, door was locked. And then there were no one in there. So I had to go round the bloody like drive-in bit and pretend to be a car, knock on the window and give my order. <laughs> Are you a car, sir? Yes, I yes, am. Yes, I am. Uh, I Furious. <laughs> He's got a lot more angry than I expected, I'll be honest. Uh, I also uh, found... Did you guys see the news story? I think this is maybe last year. Four people dressed in a bus in an attempt to get across a vehicle-only bridge in Russia. Did no. you see that? No. Uh, okay, we'll, 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 is there a video? Pop a, we'll pop a link to the video on, that on our socials. But yeah, uh, local security in, I think it's Vladivostok in Russia, caught four people disguised in a bus in an attempt to cross the city's Zolotoy Bridge, which is closed to pedestrians. 
uh, it's quite a lot of video because there is no way they look like a real <laughs> bus. Uh, also, worth mentioning, Alan's imaginary car uh, car of choice is a Vauxhall Cascada. Uh, he says, obviously, I'd never drive one in real life as it's a bit of a hairdresser's car, but in the land of make-believe, no such stigma applies. So that's his imagination failing him again. Yep. Why not imagine a Ferrari or like a Lotus Esprit or something like that? It's a hairdresser's car that he's gone for. Uh, and then as we get towards the end of the chapter... Alan has encountered a one-show outside broadcasting unit interviewing Steve Batchel. I really like this line. The one-show, so-called, because that's how many brain cells you need to watch it. And then, of course, in this time, he goes on to present a one-show style show. So. Hark the irony. <laughs> uh, oh, and obviously that line was given him to uh, Eamon Holmes. Eamon Holmes gave me that one. Love, Love you, Aim. <laughs> Uh, there's a bit of Giles Brandreth chat where, where Alan is saying how much he loves Giles, but uh, obviously we end the chapter with him calling him an... Uh, an absolute a-hole. You've got some more great clunky similes in this chapter as well. Spewing through his mouth like the suds from a cartoon washing machine gone haywire. Uh, like one of those geezers that smells of trumps. Uh, I, I, just, I just enjoyed when you put all these things together. A thought suddenly erupts in my mind like one of those geezers that smells of trumps. Maybe I've got things uh, anus about chest. My father's memory shouldn't be hidden from view like some sausages in a fridge. We, um, we live in the age of sharing of linked up Instagram and the like. Yeah, Instagram, that's a bit silly. I mean, well, yeah. see linked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Linked up is more in- like Instagram, that I mean possible. Yeah, that's I mean unless it's Well, it, I mean if, but, but remember if you if you take this to its like, you know, full conclusion, this would be, you know, edited by someone at Orion presumably. Mm. So, well true. I, yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. You it's, would, it's a you silly joke. You but, wouldn't believe it was called Instagram, would you? Like, uh, that doesn't make sense. It it doesn't make sense, but I I I, I smirked. There's a little bit that I like where he kind of gets angrier and angrier about Steve Backshaw, uh, just laughing. He's like, he's beaming and laughing and smiling and laughing and talking <laughs> yeah. and laughing yeah. and yeah. fundraising and laughing and <laughs> being Steve Backshaw yeah. and laughing. His, his anger at just a genuinely happy man is is very upsetting. Um, also, just the sausages on the fridge in the fridge thing. He mentions sausages in the twice. fridge twice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he also the second time he says. Uh, if it's fair game to tell the whole world what you la- when you last took toilet or what you had for breakfast, perhaps sausages from the fridge. I feel like that's a deliberate bit of quiz, uh, <laughs> conflating the idea of taking a shit with Putting eating a sausage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the great thing is Alan's annoyed with Steve Backshaw because he's being happy, he's enjoying life, uh, his fundraising is going well. Uh, the bitterness that comes through. It's one interview, big deal. It's not like it's not like I'm making a six-part Sunday night BBC One series about it. That ship has sailed. I'm fine with it move on <laughs> again it's the opposite yeah. um so to remedy this situation alan decides to crash the live interview to get some of his own publicity yeah <laughs> he opens by saying alan partridge don't believe you've had the pleasure and putting the emphasis on pleasure so that we all know note that we all know that he means the opposite <laughs> very clear uh he and uh, now he's uh ensconced within this live tv scenario he says adrenaline is flying around my body like it used to when angela said she'd made one of her chicken pies <laughs> i love that <laughs> i also like that it's he's got 15 seconds or so before he becomes exhausted and has to stop for a nap <laughs> in terms of the the jogging around yep. whilst he talks through the outline of the significance of his journey and then he treads on glass. Do we broadly like uh, Giles Brandreth? Well, <laughs> do, do we broadly like that? Yeah, I think... Uh, well, I'm not sure about what's Coogan's view of Giles Brandreth because I feel like when I watch him on Have I Got His View, he is funny, mm. but I also think he is a big posh sod with plums in his mouth. <laughs> that is kind of his gag, isn't it? Being yeah. a big posh yeah. sod with plums yeah, yeah. in his mouth. Um, I like the bit where he just goes... Uh, he describes Steve's feet as being alfresco, and Alan mm. just goes, alfresco, again, brilliant. I have no idea what he means, but it's still quite, <laughs> quite brilliant. 
Uh, he also describes David Williams as David Williams, <laughs> which is interesting because that's his actual real name. His name, his real name is David Williams. But uh, when he signed up for what's the whatever the actors oh, yeah, union is, the, the guilds. There, oh, yeah. was only, there was already a David Williams, so he changed it to David. Oh, Williams. Of course, because he lists uh, sports relief uh, feats of endurance. So it's asking David Williams to swim open mouth into sewage, <laughs> getting Eddie Izzard to drive 100 <laughs> marathons in 100 days. A brilliant, and then, a brilliant bit of slander. Yeah, yeah. and this is Backshaw's angle. Zola budding it around the place like a wally. I also like when he references, he's talking to, uh, uh, oh yeah, about, to, uh, about Steve walking barefoot. He says, who does he think he is? John Lennon from the Beatles. Because <laughs> clearly John Lennon needs yeah, further explanation. Yeah. Um, there's also a really nice bit, but uh, just a few pages back where he's talking about the uh, the shipping containers that he's gone to visit. He says, oh, yeah. what treasure lies within each container? Is it timber? Is it cars? Is it paper? That's the absolute limits of Alan's imagination, that it might be timber <laughs> and or paper, but yeah. nothing else. Yeah. So at this point, Alan's shoes and socks are off. Uh, he's getting probably a little bit overexcited explaining about his journey and then something catastrophic happens. Glass, that was glass. I've trodden on glass. I think there's two very distinct parts to this book. Everything that happens before this incident and then everything happens after that happens after this incident because everything comes back to the fact that he's got an injured foot and whether he's yes, playing up... That's a very good point. The, yeah. Whether he's playing up the problems with his foot and whether they are actually as bad as he, he's saying that they are because I don't think they are. Is my theory anyway. Well, I think they might be by the end. Mm. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Much like it bisects uh, the episode of Iron Man and Partridge where he pierces his foot on a spike. Mm. I mean, you could yeah. argue that to, to, to some people, this might seem like something of a lazy rehash of an idea that's been done before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Controversial. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's simply his left foot is literally his Achilles heel. The reason oh. I say that he's playing up the actual severity of the injury is because is this line, unaware that it's only a small cut. Uh, well, well, yes, I think it's not severe at this point, but I think, uh, mild spoiler alert, um, as it continues, because he doesn't get it treated or looked at, I think that's where it gets bad, mm, because it gets, it gets heavily infected, uh, and lots of great gross descriptions to come on that in the following weeks. Um, but yeah, it turns out it's the same foot that he pierced uh, on a spike whilst hurdling some railings to rescue a corporate function. Rescue, I love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, closing the chapter, he also says, a few years ago I was shot in the left ankle by a madman's shotgun teeing up the next chapter and the action that we see in, Alt, in Alpha Papa. Uh, does anyone else have any highlights from this chapter before we close today's episode? Just one little footnote on this last page. He says, after a series of operations and a dozen Paul McKenna hypnotherapy sessions, and a footnote, what absolute bollocks that was. Um, not in the audiobook. Again, yeah. no, no real reason why. <laughs> I wonder if Coogan um, knows McKenna and hadn't probably read the script. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that about Paul. Fucking hell, Robert Neil. What'd you yeah, put that yeah, in there yeah, for? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I think that uh, that wraps up chapter 20 and this episode of uh, our journey through Nomad. Indeed. Uh, if you have any points to add or anything to uh, comment on Nomad or otherwise, thepartridgepod at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, facebook.com slash the partridge pod is facebook twitter at the partridge pod instagram at monkey tennis pod and the monkey tennis hotline is 07923 600 we literally couldn't give you any more ways to get in touch so please do uh, if you've been listening and enjoying so far please do give us a five star rating on itunes it helps us reach more people it uh, must and do, be five stars it must be very important and do subscribe uh, so that you get every episode without having to faff about uh, that's all from us this week thanks so much from monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast thanks and goodbye Bye. See ya! Thanks very much.
I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Larber on him, Nosey. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis? Oh, fuck off, Nick. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.